0: Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is a Bible study. We're continuing this epiphany series on the characteristics of Jesus. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've had some fun uh, people from around the staff on. Pastor Gary did a couple podcasts, intern Rita, uh, Brian Jaster. So I hope you enjoyed their perspectives on some of the unique characteristics of Jesus. Today, I've got a Bible study for you. I wanna talk to you about Jesus as a rabbi. Uh, And there's some interesting nuances to that idea. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. This is a story of Jesus uh, sending out a group of disciples, and there's some really interesting details that are a part of that. I'm excited to share it with you. As always, thank you so much for listening, your continued support of the podcast. I really hope um, that you're sharing this with others, that, that other people are finding it, because we're, we've enjoyed putting this out uh, as a resource for all of you in your daily walk of faith. I'm going to turn it over to myself now. <laughs> Here's a Bible study. Um Luke chapter 10. Hey everybody, it's uh, time for a Bible study podcast. We're continuing looking at the characteristics of Jesus. And I want to talk to you today about Jesus as a rabbi. And this is a little different. I was trying to figure out exactly how to term this, but a little details about rabbis first. Is that rabbis typically have followers. They have followers disciples. And that's a really important point because in Jesus's day, especially to be a disciple of a rabbi was a really hard thing to do. You had to be the best of the best in all of your schooling and then hope that there would be a rabbi who would invite you to be a disciple. And that was like the best thing that could possibly happen. This is what people hoped for in Jewish communities at that time. They really wanted to have the opportunity to commit their life to understanding the laws of Moses, to understanding the Torah fully and completely, and to being that person within the community who provided uh, wisdom and advice based upon the religious teachings. And so to be a disciple, we we totally lose sight of it in this day and age. Age and think like, ah, oh, yeah, like discipleship is just something that we talk about all the time. But it's it's such an opportunity. It's an amazing invitation that Jesus gives to his disciples. Because it was not just a foregone conclusion that anyone could be a disciple. In fact, only the best of the best of the best would get that invitation from a rabbi to be a disciple. But Jesus kind of flips it on his head. Jesus changes how discipleship is understood and kind of says like yeah if you want to follow me, I want that to happen. Additionally, rabbis had something called their yoke. Um, we hear Jesus mention this a couple of times and the and the yoke of a rabbi is kind of like the the rabbi's set of teachings and so you would take on the rabbi's yoke. think about it in terms of like a school of thought. The rabbi had a very specific understanding of how this worked you know the rabbi's school of thought. And you as a disciple would take on their yoke and study under that rabbi in order to to understand the world in the same way that the rabbi did, to understand the law. Obviously, right, like even back then, there were subtle differences to how rabbis would interpret the scriptures. And if you were their disciple, you took on that rabbi's yoke. You are part of that rabbi's school of thought and therefore lived in that way. And so Jesus also kind of has a, a yoke, um, but it's very different than any other rabbi at that time. Jesus has this understanding that anyone can be a disciple and that really the, the job of a disciple is to carry forth the mission of Jesus in you know, compassionate, loving ways. So um, the scripture passage that I specifically want to look at is one of these times when Jesus sends out a group of disciples. This is from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And as we often do here on the Together for Good podcast, I'm going to be just going verse by verse through this. And so let's look at this now. Um, And in fact, (laughs) I I should, we'll we'll get to this in a second. We're going to start Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter 10. Let's start with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. You hear that word at the beginning of this verse, first verse of chapter 10, after this. And hopefully that sets off some sort of curiosity bell, right? Like, after what? Well, What this is describing, this is the very midpoint of Luke's gospel. It's really right after the turning point. If you look in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So that moment in Luke 9 of Jesus setting his face towards Jerusalem is a really key turning point. The other piece that happens... Um, just right around here is Jesus is transfigured on the mountaintop. And so it's this real, you know, fulcrum where things kind of turn and change. And so now from here on out, Jesus is really set on going to Jerusalem in order to die. He knows that that's his mission and that this is what he needs to accomplish. And so this is the chapter 10 is right after this, after Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem, after this. Really important turning point has taken place within Jesus's psyche. This is where we're picking up the story. And it says that Jesus sends out 70 others to the towns where he plans to go. 70 is a really strange and large number. We always thought there were just 12 disciples, but actually wait, no, there were 70, at least probably more. A lot of scholars believe that this number 70 is a symbolic number, that at that point in time, it was likely, right? Like when Luke was writing this gospel, it was likely that there was knowledge of about 70 nations in the world. And so it's a really symbolic number in saying that like Jesus is sending out disciples to all corners of the earth, that Jesus's message is truly for everyone everywhere. And he sends his disciples as such. I mean, and even that second half of that verse, where it says, sends those pairs to every town and place where he intended to go. So Jesus is intending to go everywhere, to every nation that is out there. Um, And what's also interesting, as I've told you already, there's this turning point. Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem, and the next thing that he does is he starts to hand off responsibility. Jesus recognizes, you know, in the first half of Luke's gospel, Jesus is himself going to all these towns, and he's healing the sick, and he's preaching in the synagogues, but now... There's this turning point. Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem to die. So it's as if he's handing off the responsibility. Here, I need more disciples to go to different corners of the earth to carry forward my message of love and grace and acceptance. All right. Um, The other piece that you might have noticed, right, like the sending in pairs, this is part of the Mosaic law, actually. The law dictated that two witnesses were required for a testimony to be credible, and so this is very strategic on Jesus's part is to say, yeah, you need to have two people so that, you know, they can both attest to uh, what they're saying about the coming of the kingdom of God, about Jesus's mission. If you just send one person, nobody would believe him. If you send two, then under Mosaic law, you have enough for a credible testimony to be given. Um, so that's also why that piece is there. Um, and it's interesting um, that the all these people who are going out to do all these things they're forerunners we would say and so there's a lot of parallels to what they're doing and um to the role that john the baptist played john the baptist was the one who was a forerunner to jesus's mission and these people are now kind of taking up that role themselves Um, which is really fascinating because it's kind of flipping the script on how John the Baptist worked, too. John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus, but everyone thought he was the actual Messiah, you'll remember. Um, And so now Jesus is sending out these forerunners. You kind of get the idea. Let's move on to verse 2. I'm getting caught in the weeds here. Verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Harvest season in those days in an agricultural society was a time of great urgency. You have to get the crops in before the first frost comes. And you need more laborers during harvest season to bring everything in. You might be able to run the fields by yourself the rest of the year, but come harvest time, there's just so much to be brought in that you need a lot of hands. Um... And so Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest. And I really love this point is that part of discipleship always begins with prayer. We need to ask God for help in doing the work that Jesus calls us to do, that that always kind of has to be our first step in this process. And I love that Jesus puts that there. Yeah, there's, you know, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, Uh, But it begins with asking God for help first and foremost, and then doing what we can. We move along to verse 3. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Jesus is telling his disciples very clearly that they will encounter opposition to their work. When you try to reach out in Christian love to others, as a disciple is called to do, you're often met with opposition. And so what do you do? Jesus's wisdom here says, when you're faced with opposition, act like sheep, you know, use innocence and sincerity and vulnerability, non-resistance as a way of turning aside evil. It's a really wise point on Jesus's front here, um, that whole analogy of sheep in the midst of wolves. As disciples, you know, modern day disciples, we will encounter opposition in people who don't. Or maybe appreciate, um, you know, the church for whatever reason, our life of faith for whatever reason. And, and and the point, Jesus says, is not to act like wolves. You know, don't fight fire with fire. You're sent out as sheep amongst wolves. And that's okay that there is something really valuable and wise about, you know, remaining innocent, remaining curious, remaining compassionate, even when you're faced with confrontation. Um, to, to not you know fight back necessarily, but to fight back in a very different way. And of course we know that this is exactly what Jesus will model for us as well. Nonviolent resistance is how he carries himself towards the cross, and that's a part of his overall message as well. When confronted with all of this evil in the world, with all of this injustice, Jesus is like a lamb amongst wolves, and so maybe there's some real value to that. This, this is part of Jesus's yoke, going back to what I was describing earlier. The disciples of Jesus follow the rabbi in his ways of innocence and peace and vulnerability and compassion. Let's move along now to verse four. Jesus says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals and greet no one on the road. Greet no one on the road. In other words, get to work right away. This is urgent. There's no time to chat by the water cooler. Um, also, just fun fact: this verse is one of my favorite to take out of context. Right? <laughs> carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Um, when people try to tell me that you know the they have to take the Bible literally every word, then I always point that verse out for them. Like, well, do you carry a purse? Do you wear sandals? It says no. Obviously, because this verse is versus part of a wider context, um, and that's how we understand it. Jesus is talking about the urgency of discipleship and the work that Jesus calls us to do. There's an urgency to it, and we can't get distracted um, with other pieces, you know, w- having other things weigh us down or distract us along the way. Now we go to verse five. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. When we're sent out as disciples, this is our message, a message of peace. Again, it's not a message of confrontation. It's not a message of shame or or trying to guilt people into the ways of Jesus. It's a message of peace. And I think so often this is what our street corner preachers get wrong. You know, I've got those people who are yelling about fire and brimstone and how God's going to condemn everyone who's ever made a mistake. But that's not the message that Jesus tells us to bring. Come with a message of peace. Act like sheep amongst wolves. Nowhere does it seem like we should be yelling through a bullhorn. But uh, oftentimes this is what we get confused. I'm also reminded of of one of my favorite verses, which is John 3. Oh, you thought I was going to say John 3.16, didn't you? But John 3.17. In John 3.17, it says, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it through his love. Let me get the exact quote for you. You can hear my page, my Bible pages turning in John 3, 17. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Oftentimes we, we miss that point. Jesus's yoke, right? The, 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 the Jesus school of thought that his disciples are invited to undertake does not involve condemnation. <laughs> it's a message of peace and a message of salvation, which is very different. Now we read in uh, verse six Jesus continues, And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. So in our acts of reaching out as disciples, there's also the need to accept the hospitality that is extended to us. Oh, I'm getting ahead. This is verse seven. I'm going to get to verse seven in a second. Basically, in verse six, right? If your peace is well received, then it's a good place to stay. But if not, move along. Sorry about that. That's what Jesus is saying here in verse six. You know, if your message is received, then that's a great place to continue. But don't get hung up on the fact if that message isn't received. And I think this is an important point. We often can get so upset and thinking like, oh, I've got to make sure that my, you know, my grandchildren, my daughters, my sons, or whatever, that we we get so nervous. My friends, we want them to have the same faith that we have. And the truth is, is that God works in different ways and in different seasons. And so sometimes those individuals just might not be at a place where they're ready to hear uh, the message of Christ. And and that's okay, Jesus says. If your message of peace is accepted, then that's a good place to stay. But if not, move along. You know, there's too much important work to do out there to, to waste our time all along trying to get through when maybe it's just not the right moment for that. And I, I think that's really wise on Jesus' part, too, to advise us to... Yeah, if our message is received, then that's a good place to stay. And if it's not, well, then move along. Now we get to verse seven, which is the one I was reading earlier. Jesus says, remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide for the laborers deserve to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. It's funny. Jesus almost contradicts himself here. Don't move about from house to house. Just trying to get all the good hospitality basically is what he's saying. But of course, move along if it's not accepted first. You see, when we are acting as disciples, there's also a need to accept the hospitality extended to us. Um, accepting our acceptance is a good way to talk about it. The command against moving from house to house is Jesus's way of saying, don't go looking about town for the best living quarters, right? That's not the purpose of your visit. He just doesn't want the, his disciples who he's sending out to be distracted by things that ultimately don't matter. Um, Additionally, this idea of accepting our acceptance, uh, this is a a microcosm here of a wider part of Jesus's mission and message. We are saved by grace through faith, we say. This is a very Lutheran understanding of things. And yet, um, the idea is that grace always comes first. I've talked about this in sermons recently. That we have to get the order of operations just right. We have to understand that it's God's grace that comes first and then we respond to it. It's not as if we earn God's grace. And so another way of talking about that is accepting our acceptance. The acceptance that God brings to us always comes first. It's always about God's grace and love for us. And all we have to do is, is believe that, is accept that we have already been accepted. And so I think it's neat that here in verse 7, Jesus is articulating something similar. You you know, if someone's extending you hospitality as you go on your way, disciples, accept that. You know, appreciate that. Don't go jumping around looking for the best house in town. Appreciate the grace that's been extended to you. And in a much larger way, that's our call too as disciples is to accept the grace that God has given to us already and to allow that um, to overcome any... Shame and guilt and fear that might continue to reside within us pretty quickly. If we don't accept our acceptance like this, we can get into this game of thinking that we're not good enough, that we've made too many mistakes, that God's going to come and smite us, and and that's not at all uh, what the message is ultimately about. Let's move along a couple more verses here, 8 and 9. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this is, again, Jesus kind of reiterating his points, but he actually gives three commands here that are really important. Eat what is set before you. Cure the sick. Proclaim the kingdom of God. This, friends, is the yoke of Jesus. This is the Jesus school of thought. Eat with others Cure the sick. Proclaim the kingdom. Eating might seem like the funny one there. Uh, If you're a guy like me (laughs) who loves food, uh, it's a great one. (laughs) I'd love to eat. But uh, in those days, table fellowship was a really important societal piece of the puzzle. Eating with people was a big deal and not a task to be undertaken lightly. You might remember that Jesus gets into a lot of trouble because of the people he eats with, the people he chooses to share table fellowship with. Who you ate with kind of sent out a message to the rest of society about the type of person you are. It's kind of like the back in the the high school lunchroom days, right? Who the table you sat with had certain... Um, messages that came along with it about the type of person that you were. And so Jesus is saying that it's okay to eat with the people who welcome you. That's the bar. Don't go putting more barriers around it than that. And also it's the host who sets the agenda at a table fellowship, not the guest. And that's part of what Jesus is saying too. Your mission is to proclaim peace and God's kingdom and let the host set the pace and the agenda. So just to think about that as disciples, right, the Jesus school of thought is that, you know, you kind of let people, as I was saying earlier, like that the, they dictate the pace of all this and the season that you can't go in and try and force your ways upon them. To say like You have to believe I need you to go to church. Yeah, all of those things are important. But what Jesus advises us is, is to let the individual set the pace. To, to sit and eat with them, to develop a, a friendship and a connection, and along the way to talk with them about Jesus' mission and the kingdom of God. It's a, At a table fellowship, as I said, it's always the host who sets the place, and so if you're welcomed to the table, you, you go by their rules. When they bring out the salad, of course, you eat the salad. You don't say, hey, let's get this dessert out here, snap, snap. That would be rude. Um, and it, It's very similar in the ways that we proclaim the faith to others and the ways that we act as disciples in the world. The other piece of all this, right, curing the sick and proclaiming the kingdom, along with table fellowship, are exactly what Jesus did throughout his ministry. They are the continuing The work of jesus these disciples who are sent out and it's really funny when it's put that simply to think about of that those are just the things that jesus did and so this is what we are called to do eat with other people and in those moments of relationship proclaim the kingdom of god and cure the sick the cure the sick one might seem interesting but there's ways that we can cure the sick with our compassion Um, ways that we can cure the emotional sickness around us. Uh, You know, maybe we're not performing miracles like Jesus did, but I think there's a lot of ways that we can bring healing to the lives of other people simply through love and care, listening, acceptance, all of those good things. All right, we're almost through. Verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, Go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. All right. Jesus is warning his disciples, hey, I'm sending you to all the corners of the earth. And guess what? You're not going to be welcomed everywhere. You won't succeed at this all the time. But shake the dust off from your feet. Keep going. Persevere. That's more of what this is about. They're told to make a judgment, they are told to make a judgment statement in the middle of the town. But notice that they don't make a statement of condemnation. They don't say, hey, this town stinks, you're all going to hell. They say, the kingdom of God is near. In other words, by not accepting me and God's message of the kingdom, you're going to be missing out. And that's the judgment. It's not about God's wrath and God's smiting. It's just about this town not accepting their acceptance. They're missing out on this great good news. And that is tragic and sad. But also going back to what Jesus says earlier, you know, you move along. If the peace is not accepted, you move along to the next house. We can't get caught up in the mess. you know, in, in lamenting the ways that a a person, a town, whatever, might be missing out on this great message of good news. And maybe in a different season of life, that will come about. So friends, there you go. This is a little look at Jesus the rabbi. Just, I hope you're kind of picking up on the broader themes and this understanding of the Jesus school of thought. Uh, One of the ways we understand Jesus is as this rabbi who gives us an incredible gift of calling us as disciples. And that call of being a disciple is an invitation to take on the Jesus yoke, to look at the world totally differently than maybe we would before. And with that as well, we're called to carry forward that yoke, to share that yoke with others, to bring other people into the Jesus school of thought and doing things. And that's actually really simple. It's about eating with others. It's about bringing healing in the places when we can, and it's about proclaiming the kingdom of God and allowing that to be enough. I hope you heard that in our study of this Luke passage, all the ways that Jesus is continually you know, encouraging us to persevere, to keep going, and to recognize we won't always be successful at this. Our message will not always be received and to be okay with that and to recognize that there's more need out there. There's more people who will eat with us, who, who, more people that we can bring healing to. And so we don't need to get caught up when that message might not be received the first time. I hope this is a new, interesting perspective for you on what it means to be a disciple and what it means to think of Jesus as our rabbi. Uh, And yeah, there's a lot of other neat places where this all bubbles up. But in our season of epiphany, as we think about the characteristics of Jesus, I hope this is a new one for you that you haven't fully considered before. Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Share this with other people. We really hope that folks find the podcast and appreciate these resources we're putting out. As always, stay in peace, everyone. Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. We have come to the final episode in our Epiphany journey, friends. We have been spending each and every week learning about a different characteristic of Jesus. And as we finish up the season of Epiphany and move into the season of Lent, we have one last episode. And one of the things that happens at the end of Epiphany every year is it always ends with Transfiguration Sunday. And we read that story about Jesus being transfigured on a mountaintop. Well, that is the Sunday that's coming up in just a few days here, and so I am so excited about this. Intern Rita is going to be telling us a little bit about Jesus, the transfigured, what that means, why that's significant. Oh, but wait, there's more. It's not just Intern Rita. As you might remember, she was away last week uh, doing some coursework in Columbus, Ohio as part of her seminary studies, and so she recruited two of her classmates who are all seminarians on internship and they're helping as well so this is gonna be really fun I'm very excited about it Uh, special thanks to intern Rita for coordinating all this and to her friends Morgan Walker and Sammy Dubiasio I hope I said that right Sammy Um, they are both interns and they'll introduce themselves when this all starts I'm gonna turn it over now to Morgan Sammy and intern Rita Hey everybody, I'm here with your favorite Director of Faith Formation, Brian Jaster. <laughs> Brian, thanks for coming on the podcast again. Honored as you me. know, I'll let, we're, got, think, we're listening to people's faith stories. Um, who better to talk about his faith story than Brian Jaster? I'm sure you've got some interesting pieces for it, and you're always so insightful, Brian. So let's just start there. Well, I mean, where, where do you want to start as you talk about your faith journey? How does one end up as a Director of Faith Formation in Denver, Colorado? Well, the answer to that question,
1: is, is honest one, is honestly that I have no idea. <laughs> and there's something about faith that simply is we are not in control. I am not mm. the master of the universe of my own days and times in life. Faith means surrendering ourselves to God, to the people of God, to forces in the reality that's beyond ourselves, and trusting that God's grace and life and love is in it and for us and for the world, and that's going to be enough. Um, so, I love that.
0: I love it. Like, and just to to pick on that real quick too, one of the things I like to do is I'm going to interrupt you a lot just so you know, because it's, there's so many little good insights that we can pick out and right, like talking about faith as trust, I think is something mm-hmm. we often miss. And we think that faith needs to be certainty. We get so scared if we have doubts yeah. or if we have questions. I just did a, you know, a little lesson for some of our elementary school kids last night about asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like it's about trust. It's about surrender at a point. That, it, it's literally there in the Word. I have faith mm-hmm. that this will happen. I have faith in something bigger than me.
1: Yeah, the, the phrase I was thinking about this morning when I was thinking about this, this podcast was um, that we see, you know, through a mirror or through a glass dimly. And yeah. one day we get to see face to face. There's something about faith that's a, it's both knowing and unknowing. Ooh. It's, it's seeing Jesus face to face and knowing the way of God. Knowing what the kingdom of God looks like, and it's also deep unknowing that God's mysteries and actions and activity and our part in that is unknown and beyond ourselves, and that and, and grace is part of it all. It's all gift, um, mm-hmm. and all that. So that's yeah. I, I think the first thing I would say about faith is it's both something that we know, and it's a gift that's really given, and it's something that is always beyond ourselves, yeah. always outside of ourselves. And, um, so yeah, so I'm going to talk about like three little quick things, I think, if we can uh, on this about it. And the first is that, um, faith is made whole in community. (laughs) And here's my first story about that. Um, I've got a lot of little people in my life that, um, have helped me see and know the way of trust, the way of Jesus in their own ways, their own imperfect, beautiful ways. Um, parents and family and others, but, One person that is essential to me is a guy named Dan Schultz. And when I was in high school... Didn't he write the Peanuts comic strip? Yeah, right. Right. Not him? Not him. Okay. But but Dan Schultz was a unique character. He is the one that had the Cheeto-stained shirt, holding the Coors Light can in one hand and a pair of tongs in their hand. He led the Roadkill Grill at Mount Carmel Church. (laughs) And they'd fire up the roadkill grill during the late service, and we would smell the the, the the smells of, you know, burnt animal, whether it was pig or cow or whatever out there. And I'd come out of worship, and Dan would always see me. He would always yeah, yeah. see me. And that's important over the next eight years of my life, four years of high school, four years of college, that Dan was there at the roadkill grill, and Dan would always see me. Faith was made whole in community, and Dan was the one that would see me. And he'd... Be clapping his metal tongs together with his cords on the other hand and say, Brian, come here, sit down. And he'd always see me sit with me and talk to me. And he asked questions in ways that my dad did not. Because mm-hmm. Dan was rough around the edges. He swore a lot, he drank a lot, and he ran that roadkill grill, and it was his show. But he always saw me. He'd say, Brian, you have a girlfriend? Brian, how's your prayer life? Brian, are you going to go to college? Why or why not? Brian, what do you love about whatever, right? And he'd always ask, and he always was persistent. But the thing that Dan showed me in all that, in the rough little human that he was, was that Jesus was very important.
0: Huh. And that you were very important. And that
1: I was very important. He said, Dan always saw me, and he taught me too that Jesus always saw me with love and grace and how Jesus would show up. And he may not have been theologically articulate or he definitely didn't have the words, but seriously, when I got into college, Dan was one of the people that after I got kicked out of a campus ministry and I was in a really dark space, he sat with me one day and I actually told him that story. So faith is really made whole in a community, and faith is made whole in that community because that community embraces us in our weakness and in our strength. And Dan did both. I mean, he saw it my best moments. I'd be like, Dan, oh, I just, you know, I got an A in my exam, or what, right? What All that stuff, and he'd celebrate that. And then he was also there after many, many times when those couple moments where I was truly in my worst space, yeah. and I, I felt like I had no faith. I was worthless, helpless, hopeless,
0: and all that. So faith is made a whole in community. So And I mean, just listening to that too, as a, you said it was mainly like high school and college years too. That's often a time, I I mean, when people just want to be treated, you know, like really seen, treated like adults and not just as as props or, you know, like, oh, like there's the kids program, but he made you feel important Mm -hmm. and special just for being you, Mm -hmm. just for showing up. And I'm sure at age 13... That was amazing. And, and it's funny, you know, like just hearing, i give you this compliment too. Like I see that you do that for so many of the people here at Bethany. Mm-hmm. Like I know that you view that as a real part of your calling and what you do here, what you have to bring is just like showing up at a kid's play recital, showing mm-hmm. up at a kid's band concert, sporting event, really seeing them and being there for them. So it's really neat mm-hmm. to see how you can pay that forward.
1: Yeah. And that everybody, 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 everybody has power. Every adult has power to love a young person because Jesus loves that young person as the full human they are. Mm. And when you do that with the own weakness of self that you are, it's, it's significant. Why am I so excited about mentoring for Lent right. and for new relationships getting built with our middle school people? Because everybody, every middle school student gets a seen by an adult and they get to see an adult. And they, in that time, they get to know that Jesus sees them as they are right now as a full human, full child of God. Not something that's on their way, not something that's imperfect, but is full and significant and valued. Um, And if nothing else happens in Lent, right, I want that one thing to happen that faith is made whole in community for those people and for the adults who get the unexpected, suspected gift of having a young person who knows them and loves them, too. Um, So that's one. So,
0: and I'm thinking this will lead into some of the other pieces you want to cover, but you really did. I was going to, you know, bring that, let us bring that point to a conclusion. Uh You kind of glossed over this whole, like, when I got kicked out of this campus ministry, you sort of just threw that in there. Yep. Sounds like that was a part of your faith journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and
1: the funny thing about my faith journey is that I, I think I'm here in this moment because I'm so weak and because I've had so many mistakes and failures and things that are hurt. And that was one. Um, the first people I met when I started college were from this campus ministry on campus, um, and they were awesome. And that was my whole life for a year and a half. I was part of a small group of guys. Their staff people that took care of me, and I met with for pizza once a week. We did service projects together. We did worship together every week on Tuesday nights. Like, it was a huge, huge thing. And um, I come from a science family, and my dad was a scientist, a dairy science professor at the university. And I've always loved science and inquiry and questioning discovery. Well, it turns out that my favorite class, my second year of college, was an evolutionary biology class taught by this superstar faculty guy. It was amazing. I was so excited. When I talked about this with my small group, um, crickets. And I had no idea. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, hey, no, no, he's so great, like da-da-da-da, crickets. Well, the next thing I knew, a couple of those guys went to the staff person and complained about me that I believed in, in science and I believed in evolution and we, we can't have that. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know that was a problem. I didn't know why. And I still don't on some levels, let's be honest. But so what happened after many, many weeks was that I got to sit down with the staff member and he said, okay, here's the deal. You need to change your mind about two things. One is a female cannot be the lead staff person of this campus ministry, which I know you want. And two, you got to change your mind about evolution because it's a lie. And if you don't change your mind about these things, you need to leave and that hurt serious hurt and pain. Yeah. That was absolute trauma because that was my people. And I knew nobody else. I didn't have friends in my major. I had kind of lost touch with my home church a bit, you know, that I'm at Rogue Hill yeah, Grill, wasn't yeah, quite yeah. as connected with there. And that was, and I remember the day because it was right before exam week in my second quarter of college. And that final exam week, and then the week after, like, you know, it was Christmas break time. That was the darkest time I, I'd experienced at that point in my life.
0: It was absolutely and like And for someone who had already brutal. had this experience of faith being made whole in community, right? Because like, you, you you were seeing pieces of that and learning that from yep. Dan Schultz growing mm-hmm. up in your church. And, and then so to go others. up to college. Mm-hmm. To, and your your faith was made whole in community at first. And <gasps> then you got kicked out of the community. I really did. And for something that I'm sure was just mm-hmm. bizarre. You know, like it's you didn't feel like you had done anything wrong. And and you had it, you know, like, let's be clear for those listening too, is that um, you can believe in science and still be a person of faith.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And, like, that's been huge, like, for me ever since. Right. And so many levels. I mean, I tell stories about butterflies and about, you know, the kind of evolutionary things we learn about butterflies and how it affects how we care for them right now. Like, all kinds of things with all ages of people. I've heard
0: your butterfly talk, yeah. Yeah, so, like,
1: all these things matter so much. And when you have science fit together, it's just a beautiful thing, right? So that was hard. Um, and so like the very thing I care about, that was the pain point in there that the the very community I trusted in. And again, I was only 19 and a half years old then, right? Like that was tough. Yeah. Um, and I was lost. Um, and so, um, I don't even know how to get to the next thing. I wanted to talk about that, but, but that, you know, that faith is something that because it's a gift, I felt like I had none none of at that moment. Yeah. I really thought I was done. The Christian church sucks. I suck. God hates me. That's what I believed. Oh, wow. So and you internalized know. a lot of that. Absolutely. Internalized. So I thought they were right and I was wrong. Because like, those are the people I trusted and I said they must be right. They're kicking me out because I was the problem.
0: And yet in the same sense, you couldn't bring yourself to, you know, just turn your back on science altogether. No. Nope. You couldn't no. bring yourself to do what they were asking. No. No. But you still internalized it and felt like something was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's a lot going on there. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was complicated. That was a lot going on there, yeah. And I, <laughs> yeah. And,
1: I, and I I still hang on to that story, obviously, and I want to remember it when I'm interacting with people because I don't want to be the person that shows someone that they're not enough and they don't belong. Mm. And that's hard because I know I've done it. I do not know that I did it or not, but that's I'm very sensitive to that. Like, yeah, well, okay, it's, the,
0: it's the anti-Dan Schultz.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and, and and I really believe, and we really believe on some level, that God's grace is always enough. And always what we never deserve, always freely given. And that's the only thing that can create faith. Yeah. The only thing that can create, create trust in God is because that Jesus has created mm. and has shown us love and love beyond love and grace beyond love grace. That. And there's nothing that's ever separate us from it. And so I, have re- I hate to be the stumbling block that gets in the way of that. And I know I do it. Sure. Um, but that would be the, one of the things I just wanted to say is that, you know, my journey of faith is that God's grace is fully and freely given over and over again, and that's been enough to help me find some kind of trust in God. And I've always been amazed by how that's happened. I've had moments in the pandemic where I have found no tools and no sense of what future and leadership can look like, and that God's grace has created a kind of faith that allows me to find something. And, and the specifics are all in all of the map, right? But that has been true. So, so for, if number one is that this made a whole community, certainly number two is that God's grace is always and it creates faith, and that's always a gift. that's freely given over and over and again. So when you think you have no faith, just wait. Hmm. Just hang in there. Something of the relentless ways of the kingdom of God, of the great Romans 8 that says, you know, that God's love, there is nothing that can ever get in the way because God's love in Christ Jesus is always.
0: I like that too because I think, you know, coming back to the theme of faith, we don't often... There's often this sense of it's something that we have to achieve, Mm -hmm. right? Like that you have to be smart enough, be good enough in order to be a person of faith. And what I really hear you saying is like, no, it it starts with God's grace. It ends with God's grace. Mm -hmm. And faith is kind of just the the byproduct of grace, if Mm -hmm. you will. When we really recognize and understand what God has done for us, that's what Mm -hmm. creates faith within us.
1: It's just over and over and over again. And it's all the little details of life. I mean, just think about breathing. As an asthmatic,
0: hmm.
1: I am very well aware of the things that make me want to stop breathing and the moments that will happen. When people smoke cigarettes around me or here in Colorado, wildfires, we got, we got in wildfires <laughs> or marijuana, <laughs> right? I'm sensitive to how, what a gift each breath can be. Yeah. I mean, just think about the, the billions of neurons in your body and the firing and the wiring of those. And when one goes wiry, and the havoc that plays in your life. Think of the great gift that your body is. The great gift of breathing. The great gift of, of walking. The great gift of thinking. All of these are grace. And all of these a faith that allows us to trust in God that we actually can serve and love ourselves, our neighbors, and the world. Love it. And that's, that is such a big deal. <laughs> and that is such a big deal in our world that thinks it's falling apart that we can't trust one another, and all the division that we have. I mean, today, 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 Russia as a nation is truly trying to bomb into oblivion, another country.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What a great gift faith can be when allows us to see our enemies as our friends and brothers and sisters. And what a gift is that Jesus gives us that way forward. But yet what a challenge is in our moment. Things tear Mm. us apart, rip us apart. Faith is the glue. Faith is the thing that holds together. It is the priceless gift that is freely given. That is what grace acts and creates in the world. Huh. Think about this as an image for you. If you're in in the, any body of water, there's a thing you can do to float. And it's called the, the back float. The back float. The only way you can do that and to float is just to increasingly surrender to the water that you will float. The more you struggle, the more you wrestle... The more, the more you, sink. you try to do,
0: you will sink. I just took my kids to swim lessons. Preach, yes. Man, Yeah. <laughs> there is something
1: about faith that's increasingly surrendering to the fact that God will give you grace and hold you up. Yeah, yeah. And that might even be my third thing in a sense, that faith is that increasing surrendering as an act and as a posture to the life of the ways of Jesus. That when I'm shown an enemy, faith means increasing shown into the reality that, okay, Jesus wants me to love this enemy who hates me
0: back and to find a way. And so how have you been, right? You've kind of been drawing us through, just thinking about your journey. Yeah. Dan Schultz, yep. the struggle in college with campus ministry. Mm-hmm. Where, where did it go from there, right? Like, how does it end you well, up at this point? How did you get out of that dark place, yeah. come to this place of beautiful surrender?
1: I did have a time of forgiveness with that staff member at the end of my senior year, what well, two years later. And sometimes I like to say out loud and don't do it, but in this case, without forgiveness, there is no future. I think mm. that was Desmond Tutu who said that. Um, but in this case, that was a big deal because now I can remember that campus ministry differently, mm. that they do have good absolutely, and not evil because I hated them for it. And I harbored a huge grudge. Faith allows us to do hard things like that, experience the wonder that
0: forgiveness is, a new life is. Um, so was that kind of your path too, though? I, kind of, yes. You were in this like dark space. Yep. You said you were turning a lot of anger in on yourself, mm-hmm. but then somewhere along the way you kind of turned it outward towards that campus ministry. Absolutely, that yeah.
1: And th- that and discovering a different community um, that of a very small number of people who who brought me out of the darkness, one little question, one little doubt, one little anger and mm. hurt at a time. And that was a lot of a, a lot of days with, a lot, with with about seven or eight people who did this little teeny tiny um, campus ministry that I actually found in the meantime was supportive of my home congregation, but didn't even know it at the time. Oh, wow. I uh, saw my way into them. Um, and that really cemented my relationship with my home congregation again in college too, which was a big deal because those same people I knew in high school, Dan Schultz and others, were there when I was in college, which is a, a rare thing. Absolutely. I Not experienced that because yeah. they don't have to move away or whatever. Um, but that was a big deal, especially my junior and senior year, um, to have that. And then to have being a camp counselor as a part of my experience, which completely turned up my whole life upside down and inside out. Um, a whole host of things happened in there that, again, when I talk about faith as... Um, well, faith the, being made whole in the community. Made whole in community. And then in, uh, increasing surrender to things outside of ourselves we don't understand. I did not know what was going on. in terms out life and vocational decisions... For about a two-year period. I had no idea. But there were other people that did, and they held me in it.
0: Oh, and that's I, cool.
1: And I was a right. mess. I was a mess. Yeah, yeah, Trying to figure out, well, am I really going to be a scientist doing you know, cell membrane research for, for life? Or am I going to do something else? Because I love working with the kids now, and I discovered that at camp, and I do love Jesus.
0: Where is this going? Just kind of stumbling your way forward, and mm-hmm. then you sort of see in the retrospect. Absolutely. Of, that's, always, that's my experience, too, very much. So just mm-hmm. kind of seeing... Like, oh my gosh, like God was kind of putting this piece here and this piece here. And I I didn't recognize and connect the dots. Mm -hmm. But now as I look back, there's this incredible through line Mm -hmm. that includes people, right? Like kind of supporting and guiding me along the way to these different stations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you arrive and it's like, wow, this is amazing to see.
1: Yeah. I mean, so big picture to answer your question, like why am I here in this moment in 2022? Yeah. I guess, and I haven't really necessarily said it clearly and, and, and shortly before, but the truth is I'm here And I serve this community because I get to discover those three things happening, that faith is made whole in community. And I get to create spaces where that happens, that faith is an act of increasing surrender and considering others as better than ourselves.
0: Mm -hmm. That that's our continual
1: work of humility together. And Mm -hmm. that grace is at the cornerstone, that God's love that's freely given creates faith and a space for everybody to discover and to journal it together. And that doubts and wonder and the mystery that we are not in charge and don't know where things are going is always part of it. Um, and that because I've lived that journey, I guess I can lead that journey to be part of it. Um, and that when I do that, I, I, I can't help but say, this is what the way of Jesus looks like. I mean, the disciples of Jesus were held by a Jesus who had a vision of a beautiful, loving world built on compassion, and trusting God and one another that they did not understand,
0: mm-hmm. and He
1: brought them on that journey, and was willing to die for that journey, and rise from the dead for that journey, and that way of life for all of creation, for the whole thing, for every language and creed and tribe and color and everything in it, and that I get to be a little teeny part in that is pretty stinking cool.
0: Yeah, and I mean, and it just ties all your points together too. Of like, it also is so amazing that it's kind of beyond actual intellectual ability to grasp right like there's a mystery and there's an unknowing that's a part of all that you just said that's like wow this is a big cosmic plan that somehow i'm a part of in a small way out (laughs) overwhelming
1: last (laughs) night we did prayer stations with middle schoolers yeah i kind of had an idea how it would go but as we um talked about the evening and i just asked them what stations wowed you what did you discover listening to the eighth grade boys talk about how excited and deeply moved they were, blew my mind. <laughs> Listening to the girls talk about journaling, and two of them said, we could have just sat there for 10 hours and just wrote and wrote and wrote to God. Isn't that cool? I'm like,
2: yes. yeah, that's cool.
1: So like, <laughs> like, like we planned this stuff, right? And I kind of had an idea, but yet all of that stuff I had no idea about. So I, I guess that what I want to say is that faith is a wonder and a priceless gift. That is this vibrant, active, beautiful, created thing of, of trusting that God has for us and us for God and us, and us for each other. Um, and that is simply enough. And then yet more than enough.
0: Love it, Brian. So So good. Thank you so much for sharing this with us, but also just sharing all of your wisdom and passion with the people here at Bethany and and elsewhere too. I know you you do ministry in all sorts of different places and it is a, a gift to know you, a gift to get to work with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and to share all this journey of faith together. Appreciate it, Brian.
1: Back at you. So sort the of gift. And, and you, dear listeners, you too, may you experience the priceless gift that God's gift of faith and love is for you today.
0: Stay in peace, everyone. Hey, everybody. We're really glad you're listening. This is another one of our Lenten series of podcasts where we're talking with people about their faith journey. And I have everyone's favorite local intern. <laughs>
2: Rita Argus, hey, how are you? I'm good, how are you?
0: Great, thanks for coming on, Rita. Um, I'm not just turning this all over to you to program and run like you've done on so many other podcasts so well, Um, but I'm bringing you on because I want to hear about your faith journey, and so I'm going to just kind of turn the floor over to you. I've got my notebook, and I'll take some notes as I listen to you, but yeah, tell us a story. How in the world does someone from Wisconsin end up as a pastoral intern? In Cherry Hills Village, Colorado.
2: Well, let me tell you. <laughs> it's a story and a time and a half. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, grew up Lutheran. I was born and raised, cradled to well, hopefully grave, uh <laughs> <laughs> Lutheran, <laughs> as one likes to say. And um, and so, uh, you know, in high school and stuff, we did all the church things as a family. And, uh, you know, I was always deep in the Lutheran church and everything like that. Um, But when I went on to college, uh, you know, there was kind of just like weird turmoil at my home church and stuff like that. And so it kind of made me start to question organized religion. What does it mean to be Lutheran? What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be Christian? Um, And so I actually took a break from attending church at all um, when I first started college. Part of it was just that transition piece of moving into Um, you know, a new place, being on my own for the Mm. first time Mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, But yeah, and like really kind of took a chance to question what this like faith life was for me rather than, um, you know, before that, because it was so centered around my family. It was so rooted in what my family thought a faith life looked like. And I really wanted to take time to figure it out for myself. Uh, And so as part of that... I was pulled into the community um, at the Lutheran Campus Center, which is the um, campus ministry at UW-Madison. Wait, uh, so
0: how did that—I don't want to get too no, fast to it, because yeah. you're already coming back, it sounds no,
2: like. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Talk to me about these like this questioning. So it sounds like you kind of just like went along with it. This is just what our family does. And you go to church mm-hmm. every Sunday, and you probably— like, sort of liked it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, you could have, could you have rebelled before, do you think? Or would that have gone poorly?
2: I mean, I maybe could have rebelled, but we also would always go out to lunch as a family after. Yeah. And so there is the bribing piece of getting to go out to lunch with my family and, like, seeing my grandparents. Parents, are
0: you listening? This yeah. is how you get your kids to go to church. Uh, okay.
2: Um. You know, so when that piece was gone. I was like, no, I'm just
0: um, Didn't you have a meal plan in college? Come on. <laughs> Um, so, so there's, right, like, just, like, kind of the, the changing of scenery and location, right? You were living on campus, I assume. Yeah, living on
2: campus.
0: Um, and so there, there's that, but then it also sounds like there's this questioning piece. Can you tell us just a little bit more about that? Like, it sounds like there was, you know, not good stuff happening at your home church, Mm -hmm. so that probably made you just think about it, but also you were not a religion major right Where you
2: no yeah so i um, wanted to major in engineering okay and uh to be clear like the like none of my churches and like none of the lutheran practices or anything told me that i had to pick between you know being in a science major or engineering major <clears throat> or religion um but society often pushes you to uh almost have to choose like it's like people mm. look at you weird if you believe in evolution but then call yourself a christian um in the greater no society what? were you
0: listening to brian's podcast <laughs> oh that's a whole fame <laughs> of brian jester's podcast anyways
2: yeah or um you know even now like uh because i majored in engineering and now i'm in seminary i still get this like questioning look of like well why did you do that like why would you go back <laughs> to being spiritual like when you're in this field that is all about answering questions and a lot of spiritual life is not answering questions and like leaving questions hanging and wrestling with questions Um, and so I think that was the piece that I was also trying to sort out for myself of okay if I'm going to major in engineering and I'm going to pursue this uh, path in science how do I fit that with a spiritual life Um, and I think I had to figure that out for myself because it was Again, like, the Lutheran Church wasn't telling me that I had to choose, but society kept telling me that I had to choose, mm. almost. And um, so just wrestling with that. and
0: So do you think that led to some of your questioning, too? Is like, you felt like this push that you just kind of had to choose between the two.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, like, did I believe in this stuff? Uh, yeah. Because I couldn't answer it, and I couldn't get these finite answers that I was maybe searching for at that time. That engineers love. Yeah, yeah. and uh, also, you know... The people I'd have been around who were really spiritual or really faithful seemed to have it figured out. I know for a fact now that they didn't have it figured out. (laughs) Um, But then it made me also kind of feel like I had to have this all sorted out before I could pursue this, um, Hmm. pursue a faith life. And um, I know that that's not true now. I know that, you know, being faithful and being spiritual is about questioning and is about... um, you know, those moments when you're really wrestling with something and those moments when you're certain about something um, and then that's okay. Like you don't have to have everything figured out and like God still loves you and still cares for you and still, um, you know, wants you to be a part of a community. Hmm.
0: And so did you, like, are there particular, well, l- let's kind of move along because it sounds like the the community at UW-Madison
2: mm-hmm.
0: pulled you in somehow. How did, how did that happen? <laughs>
2: So in a stunning turn of events, the campus pastor was the former pastor at my home church, and so he was doing a circuit around the local churches to basically drum up support for Lutheran Campus Ministry, Mm -hmm. went to my home church and met my parents, who gave him my email address, and he reached out to me individually um, with an email, like a very nice invite to join in the community but like not like no pressure and that just to like join in with worship and um I went and I was sucked in um I think just it was a a more unique community than I had been in because it was a lot of really like-minded people there was Mm. a lot of people who were in the STEM fields um like even, you know, graduate students and that were math majors and far smarter than I am, uh, who were a part of that community. And so it gave me a space that I could feel comfortable with still wrestling with this stuff, Mm -hmm. but, uh, in a very like spiritual way now. And so I could ask them about like their experience with wrestling with the STEM field versus spiritual, um, fields or spiritual side of life. And, uh, yeah and I think too because they were so like-minded and I could communicate with them um just in a way that I hadn't communicated with a community of faith before uh, which was really interesting
0: so tell us too I'm just curious like where do you where do you stand on this issue nowadays as well right like having gone through some seminary most of your seminary Mm -hmm. um you know kind of Gone away for a little bit of question. How how long would you say you were sort of disconnected from a church there? I
2: mean, like four to six months. Or okay, so. Yeah. yeah, so it wasn't a super long time. But beginning
0: of college, and did yeah. your parents know? Is that why they gave him? They <laughs> no, had no idea, no, right? They had no idea.
2: Yeah. Uh, but, um, now they know. <laughs> yeah. No. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> she always listens when I'm on the podcast. So there you go. Uh, yeah. No, I mean nowadays. Uh, it's um it's interesting because like I thought that taking Bible classes in seminary was gonna bring up a lot of these wrestlings again, um which I definitely wrestle with text a lot, but at the same time it's given the more I've dived into biblical texts and biblical languages and like that, all of that that goes along with those classes in seminary has given me more freedom and more excitement around the biblical texts, mm. and um I think it's really. Cool that you know we have these creation narratives at the beginning of Genesis, yeah, um, which are really written as like artistic renderations of the how the world was created, and like we're not supposed to read them as a science textbook. Like that's never what they were written for. But at the same time, like when you're reading through Genesis, the fact that it uh, somewhat lines up with the you know lineage of evolution, I think is speaks more to the scriptures being divinely given uh, rather than someone just making them up uh, as on a whim or whatever. And um, I think it's really cool that you get that art piece of this like science understanding that we have now um, to kind of explain it in a different way. Um, So for people who don't think in a very like linear science manner, Mm -hmm. they can read the Genesis stories and get this really like beautiful artistic poem. Uh, that matches the timeline
0: or so cool no I love all those pieces that you're bringing in there too and just this idea as well about um, well it sounds like you've kind of you, you found answers in a different way mm-hmm. right like that, that you, you know that, and that's often the point that I try and bring up for people too and they're like yeah like there's just not clean answers like yeah but maybe you can find you know like other answers within it that yeah. d- just don't look necessarily as black and light as you might expect as engineering tells you, right? Like, yep. And that's, yeah. if, engineers often have trouble with this because like, <laughs> like the bridge is either going to hold the cars or it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, y- y- there are like very clear answers in mathematics like that. And when we're dealing with something like the divine and the creator of the universe and what it means to be human, like obviously the answers are going to be a-, a little more poetic. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And like messy and complicated. And But I think, Two, um, you know, we like to make all the engineering problems, like all the engineering problems that we were doing in school always came out to an answer. Mm-hmm. But in real life, very rarely is there like one answer. And so uh, when we were talking mm. about that in class two, I fit that with, um, you know, my spiritual life and faith life in the biblical text cool. of like that, um, you know, we would like to have there be an answer to why people did things in some of the difficult texts to read. And it's just, life is messy and complicated as sometimes the way that it comes out to be in like in engineering problems in the real world, that's also sometimes the answer is like, well, we would like it to be this, you know, whatever value, but we know that it's not gonna work out that way in the real world because of X, Y, or Z.
0: Totally. Yeah. Oh, well well said. That's awesome. All right. So coming back to your story then, you um get pulled back into campus ministry mm-hmm. and then what happens next?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I got involved and um, had opportunities to travel with the Lutheran Campus um, Center. So we went to El Salvador and Guatemala um, for a le- oh, cool. learning service trip. That was the first time that I'd been out of, out of the country uh, and, um, you know, had lots of opportunities through that ministry to explore different things and um, go out of, out of the country and whatnot. And so that kind of sparked my interest in doing the Peace Corps after. I graduated from college. Um, and so then, serving in the Peace Corps in Senegal and West Africa. So, um, so, Senegal is a predominantly Muslim country. Um, and so, I lived with a family who is um, uh, practicing Muslims. And, like, obviously wasn't attending a church, but had brought um, my own resources. Like, I had a Bible and I had um, devotional books and stuff. But, more to the point, that it was really cool living with a family that was just deeply spiritual and deeply faithful, even in the face of, um, you know, things going wrong. Like we, I mean, I experienced droughts with them. I experienced floods with them. I experienced, um, we would always have the hunger season, which was the time when your food stores are running out, but you spent all your money to buy seeds to plant in the field. Um, So you didn't have money to buy food. You were running out of food stores. And so, you know, your lunch might be a bowl of rice, but yet they were so like deeply Mm -hmm. thankful and grateful for God's presence in their life. Um, And so that really made me reflect on my own faith life and my own spiritual life and um, how I saw God acting in the world um, as how they saw God acting in the world. Yeah,
0: no, I, I love that too, just because, well, it's it's interesting how it's like it gave you a different perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and how seeing other people practice their faith, even if it's not the same faith, yeah, can can give us a different perspective. And it's just funny how, you know, the. That's also like the theme of your earlier piece to all this mm-hmm. too. Is like you you just kind of came to a different perspective on the questions that you had. Yeah, it's not necessarily that you even got answers. And it's really funny. Um, uh, the the dear listeners might not know this. So yes, you were in Senegal, West Af- Africa, Peace Corps, mm-hmm. and my sister in law, my wife's sister, also was a Peace Corps volunteer mm-hmm. in Senegal, West Africa, about five or six years before you were there i believe yeah um and while she was there my this is my sister-in-law jessica she met her now husband mamadou and they live in buffalo new york they have three beautiful children um and so i've gotten to know mamadou really well but he grew up in a small village in senegal not the big city like rural senegal um and he's a very devout muslim man and just like living he they lived with us in buffalo for a time um and also we spent a lot of time with them when we were there and i I had the same experience of you just Mm -hmm. like seeing mama do go away five times a day to go pray and that that would just what he'd do he's like oh i have to go pray and and like there was just something to them like what what the heck like why don't i do this (laughs) you know like it's a very uh, it it was a real eye-opening moment of just seeing that deep devotion um that he models every day Mm -hmm. and then trying to find my own ways to Live that out in my own Christian faith as well, and and also I'm sure you had many super interesting conversations, right? Like just the different perspective, mm-hmm. and the different religious practices can give us so much new insight into our own personal practice of faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: it was crazy because, uh, you know, like when I was there, because you were living there, you know, like I said, good things would happen and bad things would happen. And I'd be in conversations with people after, you know, travesty or um, tragic events or whatever. And uh, they would talk about what had happened, but they would always end the um, what they were saying with, but God is good. Mm. And uh, I just found that really interesting of like, that they would always circle back around um, to like, God is good in that. Uh, and even in, you know, greeting is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you meet a person, uh, you know, the first thing that you say to them is like, peace be unto you and they say and also unto you and then uh, you know, asking about their family and stuff and they would always say, like, my family is over there, like, um, you know, God willing, thanks be to God or whatever and like it was just so patterned in all of their language and all of their mm-hmm. ways that they are saying uh yeah, and that made me reflect on, like, how often or not often we talk about God yeah, in our absolutely. Language, um which I think you were kind of pointing to, too.
0: Yeah, that's fa- that's fascinating to think about as well, because, uh, frankly, like, when you meet those people nowadays <laughs> in, in American culture, yeah. it's so stigmatized. Yeah. And, you know, you kind of think, oh, like, there's that person who, you know, really always. loves the Lord yeah. and always tells you about it, and it's almost, you know because it's not as patterned into our whole society right that's really interesting
2: right
0: wow all right well so then like anything so then you come back from this i'm I'm sure that that experience in senegal is part of where you're called the seminary also arose out of because you kind of mm-hmm. went shortly after you arrived back home
2: yeah yeah so i think the seeds were definitely planted when i was at the Luton campus center but i think you know being in Peace Corps really gave it a chance for those seeds to grow. Uh, um, Although like, you know, as with all of the good characters in the Bible who get called by God and run the opposite direction, I definitely did that as well. Um, and so coming back from Peace Corps and trying to figure out, okay, what did I learn about myself? Who am I? Like who is the United States at that point and everything? Uh, You know, I really felt the call to ministry, and I was like, that's funny, God, I'm not doing that. And so I ran the opposite direction um, and worked in an engineering field for a couple of years, but just didn't really like it. Um, You know, part of that was I didn't like the work, but part of that was also, like, the work environment and everything. Um, And I just, like, kept feeling this call to ministry and, you know, kept feeling a call to communities of faith, and that was like where I felt the most of myself and the most at home. And I'm like, okay, we're we're gonna try out the seminary thing. Um, and so like going into seminary and being like, I don't, I don't know if this is where I'm supposed to be, but we're gonna try it. Like, worst case, I'll just go back to engineering. Um, but yeah, ever since then, like, I, so I picked Trinity again. Like, there's this underlying theme of community in yeah, I've noticed in story. that. Uh-huh. And so I picked Trinity um, because. The community is so strong there. Um, it's a small but mighty school, and so you know I became really close with my classmates and really close with the professors. Um, you know, even to this day, like we talk almost every day with uh, my classmates and whatnot. And uh, and so I think that piece was um, really important for me too of like starting out this journey and making sure that I was seeking out community because that's where I felt the most at home in my faith life. Uh, And, yeah, and, like, I mean, ever since I began seminary, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. Like, I'm not telling everyone to, like, go get a Master's of Divinity. But um, I felt, like, more myself. I felt more Mm. confident. I felt um, more sure of my faith and spirituality. Even when, you know, I have those days where I'm, like, lamenting just what's going on in the world. Or I have those days where I'm questioning, like, is this really what I want to do? Um, or I have those days where, you know, I'm really excited about ministry or I have those days that, um, you know, I'm wrestling with really difficult texts that is, uh, has been used to hurt people. Like, even in the midst of all those questionings and all those wrestlings, I feel very um, grounded in my faith life and um, that this is where I'm supposed to be. So
0: That's awesome. And that's a good place to be at, too. Yes. That's a really good place to be at of just confident in where God has led you to this point. Um, Rita, you are a gift to this place. We're so lucky to have you and all the things that you bring to the table. And I really appreciate you sharing this story with us. I love these themes of... Um, questioning and uh, acknowledging that that's okay. Yeah. Right? Like, it, 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 I, I didn't fire you right there for <laughs> saying you had a season of questioning, uh, and that was intentional. <laughs> um, <laughs> but also the way that, um, different perspectives can help us better understand mm-hmm. what we're going through in ourselves, right? Like just getting outside our box sometimes. Yeah. They, they, you don't have to go to Senegal either to do that. no nope. But yeah, that's an awesome experience. And this theme of community, mm-hmm. w- right? That we... We know so well now of just how important it is to be together um, after this pandemic and everything. Not that it's yeah, after this pandemic, this continuing <laughs> pandemic, um, and how important community is for all that. But it's, right, yeah. cool. But right, even that community is what brought you back, right? Like yeah, that it was your home church community that this campus pastor was visiting, that then reached out to you to get you back connected to community mm-hmm. there, the community of people that you met and you know grew within Senegal too, in the ways that they taught you. I don't know. That's just a great
2: theme. Yeah. No, and I mean, I think that, uh, like I said, like the seeds were planted and like the trees grew and stuff, And but I think community is definitely like the roots of the, of the trees, the roots of those seeds that are growing. Um, and I think I have noticed that um, being a really key piece of other people's like faith and spirituality is like seeking out that in community instead of focusing on um, your own individual faith life. Cause like when you are questioning, it's really hard to be in that on your own because then you wonder, you know, what's true, what's not true. Or if you're in that, those conversations in those community places where you can talk about that and be open about that. Um, you know, I've seen other people grow yeah. in their faith when they've been given that freedom, uh, which I think we sometimes lose that piece of, um, our own like faith. Yeah. Lives. Well, and just to
0: get outside your own head, yeah. Right? Yeah, like, sometimes yeah. you just need a, di- a different perspective.
2: And, like, you're given permission that the questioning and wrestling and stuff that you're doing is okay. Yeah.
0: So. Well, great. Well, and that's why uh, we say we're together for good here. That's Woo-hoo! the Together for Good podcast. We've got to do this faith thing um, as a community. Hey, you all, thank you for listening. Intern Rita, thanks for helping out with another podcast. Absolutely. My goodness, put it on your resume. Woo-hoo. Stay in peace, everyone.